Hello and welcome to the Spirit Guide Society podcast. My name is Pedro Shanahan and I'm your spirit guide. Tonight in the Whiskey Society at Seven Grand, we're actually going to do a little interview style podcast. I have the one and only Travis Tidwell, brand ambassador for Glenn Moranji and Ardbeg. And he brought with him all the way from Scotland, Brendan McCarran, who is head of maturing casks for Glenmorangie and Ardbeg. So there's the distillery manager who's responsible for taking the grain and making the alcohol, but it is the person in charge of all those maturing casks who's actually in charge of creating all these different flavor profiles that these whiskeys become famous for. So tonight we're going to get into it a little bit. Brendan, how you doing, man? Yeah, I'm good. Good to be back in LA. Yeah. Uh, first time and it's only my second time in LA. Uh, it was last year, like six years ago. So really nice to be back in the West Coast. Right on. And how long have you been um, in the whiskey business now? You were named youngest master distiller in Scotland when you were 28. How long ago was that? So distillery manager. So oh, distillery yeah, manager. I became a distillery manager at Oban. Uh, when was that? long time ago <laughs> 2009 I think it was 2009 I was open distillery manager then I did a little bit of time on Isla um, I was on Isla for three years I spent eight years working for Diageo and then I moved five over five years ago into this role working for Dr Bill Lumsden so it's 13 14 years in the whiskey industry and so the idea is that Bill hired you to eventually take over whenever he decides to retire that was like five years ago, so it, this could never happen. Potentially, yeah, yeah. you could be it, just like it could easily never happen. You know, <laughs> Bill's happy doing what he's doing, and if he's happy doing what he's doing, um, he's going to keep doing it. So, as long as I've got enough to do, uh, enough to keep busy on, um, you know, so far so good. So I'm I'm happy. He's happy. So yeah. And uh, if he ever does decide to go off and I don't know, start making wine, that could well be a possibility at some point in his life then I'm being trained, so it's not guaranteed, but you know, I am the you know, the, the likely person to take over as the next uh, director of whiskey creation. So now Glomorangi's way up in northeastern Scotland. Yep. Ardbeg is way out on the west in on the island of Isla. How are you able to create both these whiskies? Do you live in both places, or how, how does yeah. your job break down? Yeah, it's a common question. Is people say, "Oh, so you're based at Glenmorangie," and I'm like, "Well, no, no, I'm I'm not the distillery manager." So if you're the distillery manager, if you're the distiller, as you said, your job is turning the the, the malted barley into spirit, but then it's been matured, and that's kind of where my role comes in. So I'll nose the new make, and that's done off site for almost every whiskey company, almost all of the blending and bottling takes place in what's called the central belt. So in between Glasgow and Edinburgh. So our blending laboratory is in Edinburgh. So samples are posted down from both distilleries, which we then nose and check against benchmarks. So the majority of my time I'm in Edinburgh, but I still, I go to Glenmondry maybe every two weeks. I go to Arbeg a little less frequently every couple of months, but when I go there, I go for a little longer. So that's why I'm, that's kind of how I spread out across all of these. And then something like three, four times a year, I'll go on a trip, you know, to America or to Asia or to wherever. And I do a kind of intensified couple of weeks maximum trip. And then it's back to making whiskey. And so Travis is showing you all around. You're, you're having In-N-Out Burger tonight for dinner. Yes. Very excited about yeah, that. I had a chance to eat at Wolfgang Puck uh, in my hotel or eat at uh, various other amazing restaurants, but... 
I really want an In-N-Out burger. My so goodness. It only happens once a year, Max, so it's got to happen. And Travis, as you're the West Coast ambassador, how much traveling do you do as a brand ambassador for these two brands? Yeah, quite a bit. Um, you know, especially towards the end of the year, October, November, December, it's really crunch time for us. We're really hitting the ground pretty hard or hitting the air miles pretty hard. Um, so I've been on the road pretty much every week for the last uh, couple of months and there's no end in sight until about December. So it's really great. It's uh, it, it, it enables me to see a lot of beautiful places in the world, uh, meet a lot of really great bar owners, bartenders, restaurant owners, chefs. And just kind of spread the knowledge and, and passion of both Glenmorangie and Ardbeg. You know, share this amazing liquid with people from all over the all over the United States. And you actually, I think you had some of your first tasting events right here in this room in the Bar Jack Globe yeah. as, a, as a brand ambassador. Is that right? Yeah, it was about eight or nine years ago, it feels like. And now, that was kind of the beginning of the whiskey boom. Do you still see the... It, is it still growing? Like, where is... Where are the United States in terms of whiskey drinkers right now? Yeah, absolutely. So when I first started, you know, drinking and tasting whiskey, I was quite young. You know, I was the, the oddball going into a bar ordering single malt scotch whiskey when my friends were maybe ordering, you know, vodka sodas or something along those lines. And people would look at me kind of funny. But that was just my passion. I, had, I acquired a, t a taste at a fairly young age while I was in culinary school. And I uh, had a great bar manager who really introduced me and let me taste, you know, something different on the back bar every night. And that's where I fell in love with whiskey. Um, so, yeah, I, I see that whiskey is really relevant right now. You know, when I was a bartender years ago, I was making a lot of vodka-based cocktails. But now when I see and when I go out to the bars, I see people drinking whiskey cocktails, Old Fashions, Manhattans, Sazeracs. Um, and I think that's a great shift. It shows that a lot of the, the newer consumers or the newer you know, drinkers are, are actually getting back into the classic cocktails and tasting some of these amazing spirits that have been native to the U.S., you know, with bourbon and with bourbon being so popular in rye whiskey, we're only seeing that translate into scotch whiskey as well because people are trying those bourbons and they, they're acquiring a taste for it, but then they want something more. And that's when they go to the, you know, the smoky malts from Ardbeg or, or they try something classic and elegant from Glenmorangie. So it's, it's really quite a nice time to be in the whiskey business. And these two distilleries make two very, very different styles of whiskey. So, Brendan, can you speak a little bit to, like, what is the objective? Like, Glimmerange, I know, is kind of Dr. Bill Lumsden's big baby because he was the distillery manager yep, there. He was. And, and he kind of became – he made this brand famous by, like, releasing these very beautiful, like, light, sweet, fruity – easy sipping single malt scotches they're not rude they're very refined very balanced and he uses a lot of different wine cask finishes um what was what was the whole plan behind that well you're, you're kind of asking me a question you know i think that's a question for dr bill that's you know right. to ask what he was thinking of um but what i can say is you know for glenn morangy it's uh it's a Highland single malt scotch. You know, the Highlands regions are useful in whiskey. They help you to get an idea, but don't use them purely on their own. But it does distinguish Glenmorangie from some of the other Glen whiskies, for example, which tend to be Speyside. Up in the Highlands where it is, Glenmorangie has a, a mineral-rich source of water from the Tarlogie Spring. That plus fermenting in stainless steel, so every time you're starting in a sterile container, um, plus a fermentation that creates like a huge amount of floral and fruity flavours due to the minerality of the water, and then also distilling in these insanely tall, thin, small batch stills, 
all of these things contribute to making a light, fruity, elegant spirit. So really, it belongs. It, it spends most of its life um, in American white oak, and that's what makes the original. It makes like our iconic whiskey, and that's what makes Astar and some of our more famous whiskies. But as well as the original, which is light, fruity, floral, it's a whiskey that has, you know, there's so many opportunities to paint different colours, paint different flavours onto this whiskey, and that's where Bill really um, grabbed hold of the wood finishing programme that Glen Morangy pioneered, and, you know, mastered it, perfected it. So it really just, it's a great whiskey to work with to just introduce subtle hints of different flavours and colours, different ages. So it's, 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 it's a classically complex single malt. And some of those original expressions that he, he put out, the Nectar Dior, right? Yeah. And, yeah. and then there was the Quinta Ruban. Yes. Um, and now you guys are creating a new kind of twist on the Quinta Ruban because you're putting an age so, statement yeah. on there? Yeah, so we're kind of re-evaluating our extra matured or wood-finished range, which up until now has been a 12-year-old cherry called La Santa, a 12-year-old port called Quinta Ruban, and a 12-year-old Sauterne finish called Nectar Dor. So these three whiskies, we've looked at them and one of the most common bits of feedback we'd get from consumers, from people who love our whiskies is we have whiskies at 10 years old, we have three whiskies at 12 years old, the next one's an 18. What's happening in between there to your whiskies? We'd love to, you know, try that. The 12, the 12 year old cherry will remain 12 years old, the La Santa, but we're going to put a new label, a new pack on it just to make it clearer what it is. Uh, this one, the Quinta, it just lent itself to being given a little bit more time, you know, given a little bit more time in cask. So it used to be 10 years in bourbon, two years in portwood, ruby port, to create Quinta Ruban. Now it's going to be 10, 11 or 12 years in ex-bourbon, and then obviously the corresponding amount of time in port to take it to 14 years old. So it's just going to be two years older. It's going to be the same price, which is pretty cool. You know, we're getting a lot of real positive feedback on that. And it's still going to have that classic style of Glenmorangie plus port equals dark chocolate, candied honey, some wild, thick, sorry, substantial honey notes, uh, a little bit of mintiness right at the end, and definitely like a big explosion of citrus. So Seville oranges, you know, orange peels. It's, yeah. It's still going to be this beautiful whiskey. Oh, beautiful. Now I'm really thirsty to try some. So yeah. Let's do a little taste. So this expression, now when you say ruby port, how is that different from, say, like a, a tawny port? So, yeah, I'm no expert on port other than, you know, getting to drink it from time to time. I will be completely honest. You're probably going to want to have a tawny port over a ruby port if you're just drinking port at home after your meal or whatever. The reason we use ruby port for this is it, it stands up to the whiskey really well. So it presents, it shows up in this bottle. It gives that unbelievable colour. You know, this mixture of oranges, pinks and purples that really come through. So it just gives you this uniqueness and it's the ruby port that gives that. And then that colour, what comes with it is flavours. So you get your nose all the way in here and you do get that. It's orange it's orange flavored dark chocolate that's just leaping out of that cat out of that glass. I get strawberries too. I can smell like a, there's like a strawberry yeah. compote kind of thing happening. Yeah, lovely sort of red fruits and freshness. Take a little sip, and this is where you're going to start finding the honey, the orange again. And if you're lucky, not everyone gets it, but this kind of mentholic top note, a little bit of mintiness right on the finish. 
So as I say, it, the differences between the 14 that we've made and the 12 that has been around for the last however many years, differences are nuanced. It's, you know, it's subtle, but maybe a little bit more dark chocolate, possibly a little bit easier to pick out that kind of Seville orange, that bright mm -hmm. citrus note. But yeah. still just an incredible whiskey for, you know, sipping neat. It's still going to be the cigar smoker's favourite. Well, the orange and chocolate comes across really bright orange. I'm really surprised. And the dark chocolate, it is really beautiful. And you said it was staying at the same price point. So, Travis, if I was going to buy a bottle of this my local liquor store, what would that run me? Yeah, so roundabout, depending on the liquor store, you could you could find it anywhere for... $59.99 to $79.99. Just depends on your location and, and uh, the taxes and you know mm -hmm. what have you within each respective state. So beautiful. Wow. That is amazing stuff. And quite a bargain for a 14-year-old. You know, some collectors would say that if you're paying $10 a year, like $140, bucks, I, if you love it, that they would still consider that a, a good deal. Sure. So this is coming in at, at half of that. So an incredible bargain for such a beautifully constructed flavor profile there. Now, you guys, you guys don't do any kind of – like I know that you're allowed by law to – by volume, add in a certain amount of undisclosed ingredients like caramel coloring, yep. or are you allowed to use like synthetic flavorings as well? No, absolutely not. Absolutely not. It's uh, malted barley, water, yeast, and casks. That is it. That's the only way you can um, add flavor to your whiskey. So this is it's purely that interaction of that very fragrant and fruity spirit, taking a lot from those first 10 years 11 years, 12 years in the American white oak. And then the rest is the addition of the port wood that we use. So it's just that. We're not adding any strawberry or dark chocolate flavoring to this. Completely illegal. That's amazing. And you guys are using uh, a lot of the of used bourbon casks. And you do you have a, a specific Kentucky distillery that you choose to buy your barrels from? Are you buying from all over the place? Yeah, we're buying from a range of uh, bourbon producers my main specification, what Dr. Bill's looking for is bourbon that's been in there between two and four years. Because what that bourbon does, it's not the flavour the bourbon puts into the cask, really. What it is, is it's more that the bourbon strips out the, the most full-on vanilla, clove and honey hits of the oak cask, which makes great bourbon, because I'm a bourbon drinker. But it just seasons that cask perfectly so that when it comes to us, we know that we can confidently put this elegant, softer spirit in there for 10 years and it's going to come out with the right kind of flavours that we are looking for. So the specification is much more, it's got to be bourbon, uh, but in there for between two and four years as opposed to being a high rash, high rye mash bill or a, a wheater or anything like that. Mm -hmm. Wow, that is a beautiful, beautiful spirit. And so moving forward, you're going to be in charge of like creating these new expressions for the brand? Um, are are yeah. you already starting to tink around no, with no. some so, of these? Well, I, I get to do that as part of my role. So part of my role is being one of the whiskey makers. So I have projects that I'm working on on my own. Um, I have some projects where Bill is working on them and I'm there as like an assistant. I'm getting to see things. It's a real variation of lots of different things. But right now, you know, Dr. Bill is the master distiller. So mm -hmm. everything that comes out has to go in front of Dr. Bill. But absolutely, I get to try out little things, I get to toy with things, and then every so often I'll come and show them something that I've come up with, and we'll see where it goes from there. And having been the distillery manager there, Dr. Bill really loves Glomeranji. Now, you have lived 
on Isla when you worked for Diageo. So yeah. is this more of your personal passion yeah. whiskey here, the Ardbeg line? I, I probably lean more to drinking smoky whiskey because I lived on Isla. You know, I lived on Isla for three years. And at that time, I was making um, extremely smoky malted barley at Port Ellen. And I was selling that to six of the eight distilleries on the island at that time, including Ardbeg. Um, and I was also, you know, supervising the production of Lagavulin and Kalila spirit. So I have like a real affinity to Isla. I love that island. Living there for three years. Um, it's just like a really special time. So I guess I kind of lean towards smoky whiskies, which therefore makes me, you know, I have more connections, I guess, with I have more memories of being in and around Ardbeg. But, you know, I love both of these whiskies. They're really just spectacular and they're great. It's great two very different whiskies to get to work with, you know, spending one day with Glen Morangy where you just have this ability to introduce great flavours quite quickly, quickly for 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 the whiskey industry. And then other days you're working with Ardbeg where it's sometimes feels like it's impossible to get it to change its flavour at all, you know. So it's two very different approaches to work. Interesting. And so you worked at Port Ellen, um, which is the malting house that pretty much gives everybody on the Isle of Isla their different yeah. malted barley. And so you're roasting at different levels, different parts per million in terms of... Mal, uh, kilning. 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 Yeah, okay. Okay. yeah, you're kilning at different levels. So the only roasting really in our portfolio would be Signet with that high roast chocolate malt. Oh, okay. But it's just kilning. So just drying with like 50 degrees Celsius air which will sort of slowly ramp up to say 75 degrees Celsius towards the end and it's just it's just really drying the drying the malt to stop the germination process but uh, also impart that peat flavor exactly so during the first 12 hours of a kiln a kiln roughly takes a day so 24 hours the first 12 hours um, the malt is still wet on the outside and that's when you 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 smoke peat so you burn it but you don't want to see flames you just want to see this massive cloud of white smoke and it sticks to the outside of the barley and just creates something, you know, absolutely perfect for making smoky whiskies. That's really, really cool. So you kind of had it, you were privy to like how the different distillers were ordering their their grain shipments. So you yes. knew exactly how much uh, phenolic content yes. all of those different distilleries are using in their whiskey. So where does Ardbeg land in the big scheme of things in terms of how peaty is it compared to other Isla yeah, Scotches? Yeah, so... The measure of how smoky the malt is, is, it has to be combined with how you mash, how you ferment, what's, what cast you use, especially how you cut your distillation from um, heart to tails. But in terms of the, the smokiness of the malts I was making, Ardbeg was the smokiest of them all. So it was the hardest batch to make, trying to get it 55 parts per million and above. The other thing I loved is Ardbeg had a bottom end spec, so it had to be at least 55 it didn't have an upper spec. It was just like 55 or whatever, and we'll deal with it. So oh, it was basically wow. just give us smoke. So I always quite liked that when I worked with them. If, worked you've, with them. if you've smoked the grain that much, does it change the way that the fermentation takes place? Does it make it harder for the yeast to, to yeah. get in at, at the fermentable sugars and create the distiller's beer? Yeah, it makes it more acidic. So phenol, phenols are acidic. So it makes the, the, the wort that goes into the fermentation, it makes that more acidic. So when you add the yeast, it's tougher for the yeast to keep going. So generally speaking, if you're making a highly uh, smoky single malt scotch, the more smoky it becomes, the less yield you're going to get. So the less alcohol per tonne you're going to get out of there. And it's because it's so smoky. So it's not it's not a cheap thing. So it's more expensive to buy smoky malt versus non-peated. And then despite paying more for the malt, significantly more for the malt, 
you're going to get less alcohol out of it. So it's not exactly a finance uh, financier's dream making Definitely smoky not. whiskey, no. but it tastes amazing. So. And at Port Ellen, they're famous for the kind of peat that they're using there, right? Where's that peat come from? Um, I'd I'd say they're they're famous for making really good peated malt. Um, most of their peat is coming from a moss called Castle Hill, which is in the centre of Isla. Oh. Um, but that, that's where they draw pretty much all of their peat from. It's the Castle Hill moss. Is there a danger of running out of peat? I know peat's everywhere, but I've heard rumours that like, oh, you know, they might no. eventually harvest all the peat and make it, yeah. the flavour profiles are going to change because yeah. they're going to exhaust those peat bogs or whatever. No, it's, I hear it all the time, but no, there's there's just no chance right now. It's You're, you're burning very small amounts of peat for every ton of malted barley and that makes it extremely smoky. The actual drying, the physical drying of the water from the malt is done by, you know, a boiler that generates hot air that you run over a radiator. Um, so there's there's no fear of uh, that cutting out at all. Um, there's no fear of it running out at all. There's just, there's, there's a lot of peat. If anything, what's hard about peat is you can only harvest it in the summer. You know, so you can't just dig it out all year round. What you're trying to do is get enough peat out before the rains come, because when it gets really wet in the moss, everything's just going to sink underground. So you just grab out as much peat as you can in the summertime, and then you store it all in a big shed. But yeah, we, we have plenty of resources for that, you know, before there's a worry. But it's a, it's a myth that comes up over and over and over and over again. So Glimmeranji, this beautiful, fruity, sweet, creamy, incredible Highland-style Ardbeg, this deep, bassy, yeah, smoky it's a bit of a monster yeah it's like a big smoky monster definitely raw raw rough and ready totally different and this first expression that we're going to taste tonight the N.O. how did this expression come about and is this now part of the permanent range yeah so this was and always has been a permanent uh, release of Ardbeg but I guess it's the first time we've released a permanent Ardbeg in over 10 years so everyone just kind of assumed it was a one-off but it's very much the, the fourth member of our core range, and it's here to stay. So you had our big 10, uh, our big Ugadal, which is our kind of big sherried version of our big. Um, then you had uh, our big Cory Vrecken, made in very small amounts, um, quite strongly proofed, and you know a very small permanent available whiskey. But what we wanted to do is, if we're going to make the fourth permanent our big, there's quite a leap from our big 10 um, up to Ugadal and Cory because the, the proofing goes up quite a lot and also our big 10 is it is amazing whiskey but it's it's quite challenging it's quite a big step if it's your first step into our big you know your your sort of first experience is going to be this massive smoky bomb so what we wanted to do is make another whiskey that sat alongside our big 10 for comparing and contrasting mm-hmm. so the first thing that that told me when i was getting to work on this whiskey and this was a project that dr bill gave me to you know run with so that answered the first question how's it going to be proofed so it has to be proofed very similar to um our big 10 and it is so our big is 92 and this one is 93.2 so it's just a tiny little degree higher in alcohol um it's it's a, it's made out of quite a lot of casks so there's a lot of new char oak casks so they're big and flavourful, very rich, active wood, which adds flavour. It adds a little bit of this sort of vanilla creaminess, but most importantly, it doesn't hide the smoke. So it's still just, it elevates this big smokiness of Ardbeg. There's quite a lot of Ardbeg that is, you know, kind of Ardbeg 10 style. So it's Ardbeg and ex-bourbon casks. And then there's another big punchy cask going in a different direction from the virgin oak. And that's Ardbeg fully matured in Pedro Jimenez. 
So Pedro Jimenez gives some raisin sweetness. It gives a little bit of coffee and chocolate. Uh, so what you end up with, our big an o, which is named after a peninsula on Isla, just this rounded but rugged uh, peninsula in the southwest corner of Isla, you end up with like a, a smokier, sweeter, more rounded version of our big. So, I mean, first nose, you should get an initial spring of smokiness, but then it's quickly sort of um, intertwined with all this sweetness, some sort of butterscotch, something like coffee. I'm getting I mean, like a like a a nice, nicely toasted piece of bread, like a, a well toasted, yeah, yeah, yeah. and butter on it. You know, like a, a nice yeah. deep toast with some butter, but then like grilled uh, bell pepper and and like a raspberry syrup. There's this like dark red note in there as well. When you take a sip, you're going to get more of those sweet notes. You're going to get figs, dates, um, rum and raisin, maybe, Beautiful. and then right at the end, the smoke comes back again. There's a bit of saltiness. There's a bit of charred wood. A little bit of spice as well. Some star anise or something like that. Mm -hmm. Sweet spices. Wow, that is awesome. Prickly pear, dark chocolate. Yeah, like tobacco even and coffee. It's quite creamy as well. Yeah. Very, yeah, yeah, yeah. very creamy whiskey. It's got this roundness to it. Um, like Travis is saying, so when we made this whiskey right at the 11th hour, Bill was like, it's great, but he says there's just something missing. And what he'd sort of thought about was sometimes, very rarely, but sometimes whiskey changes when it's in the bottle. Um, Campanta, Glenmondry Campanta was a, a prime example. And it tends to be, I'm sort of gene talking generically here, but the more ingredients a whiskey has, the more likely it is to just need a little bit of time for these ingredients to all just kind of integrate. So with our big anno, once we've made the batch, we built a large wooden marrying vat just to leave the hard bag in. And it just sits there. The, the wood isn't active, so it just sits there and it kind of um, breathes. You know, just the air comes in and out. So over these three months, it just means that the whiskey starts to just tie together. And you get that creaminess and you get that little bit of roundness. So evaporative condensation causing those molecules to bond and create those long lingering flavors. Um, how much is the NO? Yeah, so the NO is priced just a few dollars premium to our big 10-year-old. Mm-hmm. And um, the International Whiskey Challenge, so the IWC Awards this year, um, Anno just won Best Isla Single Malt Scotch and Best Non-Aged Single Malt Scotch as well. So two big awards for it, which is great to hear. Well, I'm a huge Ardbeg Tin lover. I love an Ardbeg Tin and like a, a good Pilsner. And that to me, is I don't need a cocktail. Like those two things will complement each other beautifully for me. But I can see how this would be like for a beginner kind of entering into the world of smoky scotches, it's so rich and sweet and like easy to love. Yeah, like yeah, yeah. our big tin can be a little bit like a standoffish. Yeah, like this is much more rounded and full and kind of just easy to love. Sure. Yeah, yeah. It's it's a great whiskey, you know, and these awards are kind of backing that up and it's as I say, it's it's, it's very well priced. People are used to like our one off limited edition our bags coming out. Um, but this is it's here to stay. Uh, you'll find it everywhere, and it's you know we're really proud of it. We're really proud of what it's come out like. The kind of the flavor profiles that you guys create these limited. I mean, this is now part of the permanent collection. But in order to sustain it, how many barrels go into a bottling batch? Oh, so it, it varies. It varies. It will always be the same proportions of virgin oak, um, Ardbeg in ex bourbon. Um, and also Arbeg and Pedro Jimenez. But I would say, roughly speaking, so casks, because these are all different types of sizes. Different sizes. Yeah, you're probably looking at um, 
something like 50 or 60 casts will be combined wow. to make a batch. Really, really small batches. So that means your job as you're in the the smelling lab, yeah, yeah. You're, you're constantly kind of figuring out those different configurations of, of yes. barrels for different bottling batches? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So we'll be sampling casts all the time. We'll also have, we, we always sample our spirit and we buy our casts from a very small amount of suppliers for consistency. So we have a good idea and then David, who works for me, is going to uh, look through the system and work out where the casts physically are. And then we'll get, you know, 15%, 20% say New Char Oak, 20%, 25% Pedro Jimenez. And we'll get them pulled in and then we'll get some ex-bourbons. And the guys who are physically doing that on the island will be opening the bungs, nosing them. Uh, we'll get some samples sent over and we'll make up small bench blends of whiskies. Then we'll combine it all when we're good to go. Bring that all together into this marrying vat and then we'll sample it once a month. And on the third month we have always like a perfect benchmark of Ardbegano and all of our other whiskies, And you'll pour one glass as the benchmark and then you'll pour another glass as your new batch of Ardbegano. Check the colours. Colours going to really help you. You know, it's not the, the be on end all, but if they're v very different in colour, you know something's gone they're wrong. They're probably going to taste very different as well. Definitely going to taste different, yeah. But then you'll just nose, nose, taste, taste, and sort of dilute it all the way down to 40 proof. And when... They'll never be exactly the same. I think this is really important. You know, whiskey is not made in a, you know, a factory to you know a specification or anything. Mm -hmm. like that. It's they're they're all living products that are distilled and then matured. There's all these natural little variations, but you want it to be very close. And then once we've got it close enough, we'll approve, and we'll send it out for uh, bottling. How many people on your team of tasters? You're not the only one. I mean, you're in charge. You're it's it's your job to make sure all these expressions are sure. coming out as excellent as they could possibly yeah, yeah, yeah. be. But, you know, there must be people helping you taste yeah, through all yeah. these samples. How yeah. many people work together? Yeah, so first of all, just to keep myself employed, uh, Bill's in charge. <laughs> so Dr. Bill is in charge of the tasting panel. Um, and then it'll be myself, Dr. Bill. We are like the final sign-offs on it. So And also Gillian, who's in the team, Gillian McDonald. She was, she's also a senior taster, if you like. We have an extended team. So Bill's extended whiskey creation team is seven. Six of those seven nose and taste. And then below that, we have an even further extended panel who we would maybe use for tasting new products. You know, we might just ask me to taste something blind for feedback or if we tweak a recipe, try to see if it's worked or not, all of this kind of thing. But generally, there's seven of us who, six of us, six of the seven whiskey creation team are nosing and tasting frequently, say four or five times, four out of five days of the week. Oh, so. wow. Amazing. All right, so this next mark here, this is the new expression that we just launched last night in the Whiskey Society yeah. here in L.A., the Ardbeg 19, 19 years old. So you were saying that there's kind of this gap in the Ardbeg world where you've got your 10-year, and then everything else is kind of coming out like 16, 18 years old. Is that kind of like, is that is that why you started coming out with like uh, things in between, like the N.O.? Um, so no, no. So, so our big, um, because our big's history is really quite complicated and quite heartbreaking. If you get into it too much, um, the nineteen eighties, our big, pretty much shut down. So it closed in nineteen eighty one, and it didn't reopen until nineteen eighty nine, and then the rest of the eighties, eighty nine, and then into the nineteen nineties, it was producing, but it was producing almost nothing. You know, three weeks a year, twelve weeks a year. That's the kind of production you were looking at. And almost all of the stock was immediately sold um, or traded for blends. So our big stock led to the fact that we bought the distillery in 97, um, renovated it and kind of 
switched it on officially in 97, but it was really 1998 when it started to do any kind of distillation. And then 1999 and 2000, we were learning what it could do. That's why you have Arbeg at 10 years old, and then the rest of the Arbegs are non-aged. So it's not 16, 18, it's non-aged Arbegs. But because we now have the 10-year-olds, we have the Ugadal, the, sorry, the Anno, the Ugadal, the Cory Vrecken, we felt that the next Arbeg we wanted to make was to be a permanently available, aged and significantly aged Arbeg. It just felt like the right way to bookend both sides of the Arbeg core range. And it's been a long time coming, but it's great news. I mean, it's, it's a real it's a real sign of how well this distillery has done since it was reopened by the Glenmorangie Company that we're now got an established 19-year-old single malt scotch. You know, we're going to make this every year. So again, this is going to be permanent. It's going to be one batch a year and it's going to be small batches because that's all we have. It's all we have. And we'll slowly make the batches a little bit bigger. You know, call it 1% a year, if that, if we're lucky. So but maybe 30 barrels or 50 barrels per per yeah, year? like 30 barrels, yeah. And, and then greater losses in those barrels. And again, barrels with 30 casks, so different sizes of right. um, casks. How many cases can you get per, or do you plan on putting out per year, I would say? I can't even remember because I don't really work in cases. Not that many, like a couple thousand for the whole world? If that, it's, yeah. It's very quite limited. If that. Yeah. So, yeah, we put this together earlier this year, you know, so it takes a little while after you make it to you then bottle it and bring it out. Um, so I'm not I'm not an expert on the kind of supply chain or how it cases out, but I do know it'll be very small amounts, sadly, but we'll make it every year. We'll make it every year and we're doing our best to make enough so that the people who want to get it can can get their hands on it. So it's, it's really important as well when you make an old Arbeg that you put an age on it rather than non-aging it because old Arbegs do some really interesting, funky things. We talked about the 10. You're a lover of the 10, as am I. The 10, it's in your face, big, smoky. And if you look hard enough underneath that smoke, you find some kind of candy sweet fruits. You know, it's like Jolly Ranchers I always think of. Mm -hmm. you know, limes, oranges, sherbets that are in there. When it gets older, two things happen in an Arbeg cask. The smoke levels drop. They don't disappear, but they drop a little. But at the same time, that fruitiness increases. So you get this kind of natural tipping point around about 16, 17 years old, where Arbeg just, it just comes out the glass in a different order. So if you get your nose right in here, um, it's very inviting. It's very smooth. It's quite fruity and floral. Quite elegant, actually. Elegant for an art bag, you know. And, and I smell like there's like uh, there's some smoked meat going on in here as yeah, well. Yeah, this yeah. has got an umami quality yeah, to yeah. it, like bacon and chocolate, and there's definitely a savory, like a vanilla cream, even. Yeah, lots of fruitiness on the nose for this particular whiskey. Absolutely. Yeah. When you taste. Um, that goes from that fruitiness that Travis is talking about. You get more of that char, uh, more of that wood smoke, more of that sort of maritime sea air kind of note starts to come through. So it is very much a whiskey that is very different on the nose compared to the, the palate. Um, and that's wow, kind of yeah. like, like where the name came from. So it's called um, Travan. So very difficult to spell, um, very difficult to pronounce, but it's Travan, so like T-R-A. And then van, V-A-N, so B-H makes a V noise. And Travan is the singing sands. It's one of the most beautiful beaches on Isla. And it's just a 10-minute a walk out of Port Ellen to get to this singing sands. And it's a very inviting, very elegant, very gentle, beautiful beach. But there's some serious rocks underneath the water. So it's got a, 
it's got a big other dark side to it, a bit like this whiskey. Singing sands, what does it sound a certain way when the yeah, winds are blowing? That's exactly it. That's exactly that. It has little quarries and little stones, and it's in a particular cove. So as the wind comes through, it kind of whistles and, and sings. Wow. Beautiful place. Right next to Carrig Fada, which is that beautiful lighthouse that you see on Isla if you ever come in by ferry into Port Ellen. And so this 19-year, it, it has used bourbon, but also new bourbon cast. That's what sets this one apart. Um, is that right? It's... it's um majority just an ex-bourbon but it also has some a very small amount of fully matured Oloroso sherry casks in there as well oh, okay so mostly bourbon like but you'll f that, that sort of bacon note and that umami you were talking about it's just like a little bit of big sherry casks that are bringing that it's brilliant and Travis how much is this 19 going to cost me in my local liquor store yeah so with the rarity and scarcity of an expression like this typically a suggested retail for something like this is two ninety nine, uh, two hundred ninety nine. But you know, because of the rarity, you may see it a little bit more than that. Um, you know, and again, that's based on you know your state and taxes and what have you. So it's so good. Mm. Yeah, it's a wow, beautiful, elegant, you know, style art bag. Um, if you look on the the front of the bottle, you're going to notice there's going to be a different distillery symbol. This is the, the rivets that feature on the mash tun at um, Ardbeg. So this is going to change out. And then you'll see a long line. So you've got TB, which is Travan, 01, first batch. Um, we, we write our dates differently from America. So we put the day first, then the month, then the year. So you can see 150300. So that's the 15th of March, year 2000. That's the youngest whiskey that's in here. That was when it was distilled. And then, of course, 19, because it's 19 years old. And then MH, so the first final uh, letter stamp on it is Mickey Heads, our distillery manager. And a few of these things are going to cycle and change each time. So the MH will change to someone else at the distillery. Um, these symbols will change. So you'll be able to distinguish each batch. And every year the batch is going to be pretty much the same. But as with all whiskey, there'll be slight little changes. It might just, maybe the sherry shows up a little more one time. Maybe the smoke holds out a little more one time. Maybe the smoke drops off a little more one time but real subtle, subtle differences. I love it. That is quite brilliant. And this is just rolling out on the shelves right now? Is this How long has this been out now? A week? Yeah, or? yeah. so it's just now rolling out. Uh, so while supplies last, if you will. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I expect it's going to go really quickly. It's really stunning whiskey. If anyone remembers the, the Ardbeg 17, which was kind of like a, a real cult classic Ardbeg, very collectible now. Um, I'd say this 19 has, has got a lot of similarities to that in that the fruitiness and the kind of the fermentation flavours are able to leap out of the smoke a little more. I'd say this one, despite being two years older, it actually hangs on to that nice charcoal, um, coal tar, soapy smokiness, mm. you know, that makes an Ardbeg special. How long is the fermentation on the Ardbeg? Ardbeg ferments for about 55 hours. Um, it's like a, a medium length fermentation. Um, that's enough. So that, plus having the purifier on the still, lets us create enough of these sort of esters and other flavours we're looking for while not leaching out any of the smoke that we want to keep. And it also, it's ferments, so it's call it 55 hours, and it's in wooden washbacks. So the wooden washbacks mean that every time you start a new fermentation, there's a little bit of the last fermentation right. left over, and that contributes to that kind of oily, soapy texture that you get in an big. Gorgeous. And... Travis, you also brought a crazy treat with yeah. you tonight. Is this 
This is the Supernova. Is this the latest release? Yeah, so this is Supernova 2019. Uh, oh so my. this year's edition of Supernova. That is insane. It's a real treat. You know, we hadn't had a Thank Supernova you. since uh, four years ago. 2015 yes, it's was, been was the much last. missed, and the, the fans have been freaking out. So you guys are bringing it back. Now, what is the barrel configuration of the Supernova? So, yeah. It's kind of hard to talk about one supernova without talking about them all. Uh, all we're trying to do with supernova is... Ardbeg is a big smoky whiskey. It's not all about smoke. We're not just looking for one-dimensional smoky flavours. But we do get it that people love Ardbeg because it's big and smoky. And you know, and if you do um, consumer research with 10 Ardbeg huge fans and you say, what would you like more of? They always say, more alcohol and more smoke. You know, <laughs> it's uh, quite one-dimensional feedback. Supernova's our way of kind of showing off just what an even smokier Ardbeg can be. So all we're doing is we're going through our warehouses and taking samples of Ardbegs that after a certain amount of time, something similar to the Ardbeg 10, maybe just a little more, um, but how well have these casks held on to the smoke? Sometimes we're using higher PPM malts. We get like 100 plus PPM malt in, but other times it's actually our 55 and above that just happen to have held on to the smoke longer for whatever reason. I don't know the reason. Uh, even if you try to work it out, you would probably, you know, get halfway there and then just create a whole series of other questions. Yeah, that's but, the romance of the rack house, though. Exactly. Even the most experienced person working in the whiskey distillery doesn't know how the whiskey's going to behave in those racks, you know? Like, what happens in the barrel is always a mystery. Yeah. So with this one, what we're doing is we're finding it's, it's majority bourbon barrel. Um, it may have a little bit of sherry cask in there, but the purpose of it is, is you're looking for a big, smoky hit with some other flavours lying about underneath. We don't do it every year. We do the experiment every year. We go through the cast every year and we find the ones that are showing up the smokiest. And we'll do what we call a bench blend. Take samples from these, you know, 30 casks or whatever, and you put them together. And sometimes it makes something that's huge and big and smoky, but nothing else. And that, as a result, is a is a fail. So that's why we didn't do a Supernova 16 or a Supernova 17 or 18. But this year, when we pulled everything together, it is big, punchy, smoky, but it's also got this beautiful balance and some other flavors coming through. It's got a, a well, I get it, a nuttiness. I mean, the, the smoke is, of course, there. And then I get these, like, roasted nuts and then a really intensive floral thing happening like lavender that's what I get like right in the middle I think of it's like it's like a I don't know a perfumery or an apothecary shop that's caught fire you know so it's just exploding bottles of perfume so you got massive smoke but then you get lavender absolutely you get that fresh moon grass that green mulchy kind of flavour and you just get this super floral perfume note you know it's, it's really amazing. really in amongst there and what's the proof on this one? Yeah, so this one is 106.4, mm -hmm. is it? I always forget how to double them. It's a 53.8, 56, 107.6. That'll proof. wake you up. That yeah. is real. Yeah, and you can drink it neat. Absolutely, the supernovas, they do have a, a smoothness because another way to get our big super smoky would be to release it at three years and a day. And it'll be great. It'll be super smoky, but it'd be rough around the edges. This one, you can tell there's a bit of age in there from the smoothness. But you can still add water to this, you know, because you can proof this down a little and you're just going to develop the whiskey, get some other stuff. But if you like it at this, I'm usually drinking whiskey in like the 40 to, so 80 to 90 proof range. 
Uh, but this one, yeah, I can drink this just straight out the bowl. And it's it's upper proof, but that's the kind of telling quality of it is that you can't really notice how hot it is. It's mm-hmm. really mm-hmm. still smooth and rich. doesn't burn your face off even though it's over 100 proof. I, I dare say, but again, quite elegant for a supernova. You know, it's nice, big, punchy smoke, but quite rounded, and, and it's got that that's kind of round spice on the back end amongst all the floral characteristics on the mid-palate. It's really quite yeah. a beautiful whiskey. And it'll be an eternal debate. You know, some people like the 09, some people like the 14, some people like the 15, some people like the 19. I mean, they're they're all amazing whiskies. It's, you know, it's like arguing over vintages of a really fine red Bordeaux wine. They're, they're all great. Um, they're all very similar, but they just have little, just that little natural variation that happens over the years. And whenever we get it and it just works for us, that's when we'll release a supernova. So it's... It's not going to be coming out every single year, so it's a pretty uh, special occasion when we get one that works. And, and drinking whiskey is a very personal experience, you know. Um, my favorite whiskey may be different than your favorite whiskey, mm. and that's that's we're all humans, you know. We all like yeah. similar things, but of course, you're wrong and I'm right. You it's know? fair, <laughs> yeah, absolutely. <laughs> you know, and it, it, even like, but even mood that you're in, you know. We were talking about this, you know. So we were having an old fashioned just yesterday, and Travis was having an Arbeg one. I prefer Glenmorangie, you know. At this one, I'm much more on the it's just different moods, different times or different ways of drinking. You're going to go for different whiskeys. Yeah, this is definitely a special occasion whiskey for me. I mean, it's it's so defined with that over 100 proof, carries the flavor profile so clearly. Yeah. But it's rich. And for me, it wouldn't be a daily drinker. It's more something It's a special treat. Yeah, it's a special treat. And even if it was a daily drinker, you're only going to have it for a week and then it's gone. Because <laughs> it's a one-off. It's a, it's a moment in time. It's a single batch. If you love it and you love it and you, you're you going to pay 10 times as much if I make it again, we we can't. We can't. It's, you know, it's just it's just one perfectly caught whiskey. So special occasion. And once it's gone, it's gone, sadly. Well, you guys, thank you so much for coming out and doing our little interview-style podcast with us tonight. Um, it was Rosh Hashanah last night, so we didn't record live. But please come back to L.A. Sure. when you have a new mark to launch, and we'll do it here in the Whiskey Society. Love it. It'll be great to have you out again. Awesome. Thank you very much, Brennan. Cheers, Pedro. Thanks, Pedro. Travis, you're the man. Thank you, as always, for bringing the goods, man. And we'll hopefully have you back in before the end of the year here. Absolutely. Holiday surprises for our fans. We'll make that happen. Cheers. Thank you for listening to the podcast. If you like what you heard, please head over to Apple Podcasts and give us a five-star rating and review. The Spirit Guide Society is a Spirit Adventures production in association with Bitten from the Apple Productions. Special thanks to Tone Mesa for their post-production and audio services. The show is produced by Andrew Apple and me, Pedro Shanahan. Executive producer, Andrew Abrahamson. Be sure to like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter and Instagram at SpiritGuideSoc. We'll be there to answer any questions you have, share what we're drinking, and more. And if you're still thirsty, you can always find more episodes of the show wherever you get your podcasts. Be sure to always drink responsibly. That means don't drink to forget. Drink to remember. Remember.